tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap. Dick Cavett, the Mighty Sword, the Naked Man, an 84-year-old newsboy. Louisiana. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. All right, it's that time again. I am here with our producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. Hello, everyone. Who's back in a town near Austin. Yep. What's it called, Jam? It's called Leander, Texas. Okay. Uh, it's, That's it's enough. Become one of the, um, it's the hippest Tony. small city in Texas. <laughs> it's a suburb. Shut up with your little small towns. It's a <laughs> suburb. <laughs> where people suburb of Austin kids. or Waco, Doug? <laughs> it's for people who want their kids to be able to write when they get out of high school. Uh, it's... <laughs> They want them actually to have an education. They yeah. abandon the city. <laughs> anyway, I'm I'm already on a tear, and we just talked about who JM is. Uh, <laughs> but, Tony, uh, yeah. you're you're in South Austin in your closet. I am again in my closet. I'm I'm happy to report that perhaps next week we will actually all be sitting around the same table broadcasting in person which will be really kind of a neat thing that's right and ladies and gentlemen this is an important thing to uh spend a few moments on it is actually the coronavirus that made this podcast finally happen we had been told for a long time that our conversations about music were interesting and we always meant to do uh, most of those people were drinking when they said that. Or most of uh, those people were us. <laughs> they were us, yeah. Um, but the, uh, we could never get our act together to do it. And then the coronavirus came and cleared out everybody's calendar and made this Zoom uh, thing happen where people got in the habit of meeting online. That's how the podcast started. Well, we're coming out of the corona deal. And next week, we will be recording live at the Vinegaroon Saloon here in Austin, Texas. Yeah, we might sound like FM radio next week. So, yep. This is uh, Randy Newman's album, Good Old Boys. And uh, this is a Jonathan J.M. Rowe pick. And my first question is going to go straight to Jonathan <laughs> J.M. Rowe. 
and I think this is kind of an obvious question, like the one <laughs> asked us last week, and that is, why are we doing this album instead of the famous, well-loved Sail Away? I chose this album because I think this is his most fascinating album. It um, has a lot of a lot of album or a lot of songs that Randy Newman writes are character driven. And a lot of times they're driven, you know, the characters are not people that you would really want to associate with, like slave traders and, you know, short people, licentious people. Well, (laughs) 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 but on this album, ladies and gentlemen, I find that highly (laughs) offensive. Um, (laughs) I'm not that far from being short, actually. Yeah, I used to be medium, but the kids are eating so much more now they get taller. <laughs> On this particular album, I think it's the it's his his most character driven album as far as and I'm not the biggest lyric guy in the world. I mean, if my kind of motto is if the lyrics don't you know just stick in my crawl, they don't sound like you don't sound like a total idiot. I'm usually okay. I'll, I'll let you slide with a few things, but the way that he sets up the or writes about these characters and just such short songs um you just feel like you know each one of these guys that he's talking about in each one of these songs within you know the the first 20 seconds of of the the lyrics um and he writes the thing another thing that fascinates me about this album is that he it is about the south it is about louisiana alabama um Georgia. Georgia. This is, yeah, Georgia, Mississippi. And I can't decide. I don't think he has disdain for the South. I mean, he's he was born in uh, New Orleans. And so he, he seems like he's doing kind of a character study of the South, but in a kind of a jaundiced way. And it, I'm not sure he probably could have done something similar if he were up on the, you know, the East Coast, Upper East Coast, like New Jersey, you know, Rhode Island, those kinds of places. But he decided, you know, he, because he knows the South so well, I, the characters that he comes up with are people that I can identify with quite well. The, the other thing I'll say about Randy Newman is he is the master of songcraft. It's a, a dying art. And I think that he's probably done it better than just about anyone since probably, you know, like Hoagie Carmichael or somebody like that. I, he's got. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say what you, when you said I, I, I uh, read a, uh, I think it was Pitchfork magazine called him the Laurel Canyon Hoagie Carmichael, which was funny <laughs> that you mentioned it. Cause I, as soon as I saw that, I said, Oh my God, I got to write that down. Cause that's perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think, I think we need to, I mean, I'm assuming because of our demographic, most people know who Randy Newman is, but I think we should well, probably talk about him. Talk a little about bit. that for a moment because that's very important. Yeah. In an effort to reach out to younger people, <laughs> we chose Randy Newman because we knew that they would be familiar with his work with. We- story yeah we yeah. were we were really shooting for that dem that uh that six <laughs> to ten year old demographic that we've been missing so much on our podcast you've got a friend in me you've got a friend in me when the road looks rough ahead in your miles, miles well you know a, a 
A lot of those six to ten year olds are uh, older. Thirty to thirty five year olds. It's kind of like those kids that figured out that uh, the Ninja Turtles were actually Renaissance artists. Well, yeah, so he's he's made a second career out of writing a whole ton of soundtracks and songs yeah. for Pixar and Disney films. I didn't realize this till till uh, probably the last week or so that he actually comes from a long line of, yeah. of people who've written um, soundtrack music yeah. for films. He had an uncle, I think, that was Two. nominated well, he had three. three uncles that wrote, wrote, but he had one in particular, I think, that was nominated for like 30 Academy Awards or something like that. Yeah, was um, like, interesting. This is this is uh, this was for me the only oasis of the whole deal. <laughs> uh, I've got I've got Alfred uh, Alfred Newman's Alfred Newman. uh, record of all his uh, soundtracks. He did like a Wuthering Heights. Um, 20th Century Fox Fanfare, all those great, a bunch of great ones. But is that his, his uncle did the 20th Century Fox. Oh, fanfare? he did everything. If you look it up, man, the list is so. I started writing this crap down, and I said, "All oh, the hell with it." He got <laughs> one. One uncle did. Uh, Lionel did Holo Dolly. He did that uh, soundtrack, and I think How to Marry a a millionaire, all this kind of stuff. Alfred Newman is, he's the, he's the hoss. But the interesting thing is that extended family has been nominated for more Academy Awards than any other. And it's something like, uh, oh, 92 nominations for Academy Awards, but between all of them. (laughs) That's amazing. Randy Newman himself has been nominated a gazillion times. And he's won a ton too, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I served. <laughs> it, it was interesting looking at his or kind of looking into his history and, and realizing that he uh, got to start doing that kind of stuff. So he initially, I guess, before he was really writing songs for a, a, a more um, broader pop audience or whatever, he was uh, he wrote songs for uh, for the many lives of Do- uh, loves of Dobie Gillis. He wrote <laughs> like music for Lost in Space and Peyton Place. So he was composing songs for all of these TV shows. You know, was, yeah. I guess you could say it was in his blood. Yeah, the story is that he would go to, when he was in high school, even before he was in high school, he would just go with his uncle to watch uh, you know, this this picture would be up. You know, the movie would be up on the screen and he would watch his uncle compose to it. And then he would watch his uncle conduct it. So he kind of got to see these uh, soundtracks being created from the ground up and um, you know, he, his parents were not musical. That, that's surprising. That, that is weird. Uh, yeah, but his his uncles are, you know, royalty. He was born in, uh, in L.A. He was born in L.A. Oh, he was born in L.A., but he moved out to. Yeah, he spent he spent some time in New Orleans. He moved to New Orleans when he was younger, and then uh, and then they family moved back to L.A. And then he spent summers in in uh, New yeah. Orleans. Yeah. 
and he wrote an album about that uh, a few many years later uh, called Land of Dreams. Don't remember much about my baby Dave, but I've been told he used to live on Willow in the Garden District next to the Sugar Bowl. Mama used to wheel me past an ice cream wagon. One side for white, one side for color. The whole album wasn't about that, but there's a, a lot of places. About, you know, he talks about the Garden District and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, so he has a he, he has a very deep connection to the South. Yeah, he wasn't born in I, I forgot he wasn't born in the it, South, but he's, he his voice sounds very Southern if you hear him talk. Uh, but yeah, and what's interesting when you listen to his stuff and you, and you kind of get an idea from reading about him, what his influences are, you see all of those sort of meld in, you know, he was a, he was a Ray Charles fan, obviously Beatles fan, Carol King, Gershwin, bunch of bit ragtime, big time ragtime, uh, and of course film composers and his songs have all of that stuff. When, when we were, when I was listening to this. In particular, this album, it was difficult. And I, I hate to say this, it's not really fair to him because I come to Randy Newman late in life. But it was difficult to disengage, especially the first two songs and the way they sound from those those Pixar soundtracks. Because they have a very, very yeah. sort of cinematic Similar. feel to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the subject matter is different. <laughs> but, yeah, but that's the, funny. Yeah. What you say is it's just the opposite for me. I was really? never able to accept him as a Pixar guy because of these albums. Well, see, and that's because I For example, when I hear him life. sing uh, You Got a Friend in Me, yeah. the famous Toy Stories, that is supposed to be him saying You Got a Friend in Me. But when I hear Randy Newman open his mouth, I yeah. think he's being sarcastic. Right. I think he's being a smartass. <laughs> And when I hear him singing that, I'm thinking it, it, he can't be uh, <laughs> he can't be genuine on that song for me. Yeah. Well, well, it, I mean, I, I, yeah, and I think maybe I, I, if I can say something about that, I think maybe that's not quite fair either because there. Well, I never take, said it was fair. Well, let's take the take this album for instance. It, it's dr- there are songs absolutely dripping with irony and sarcasm, but there's some sincere portraits on this song as well. I mean, songs that are very straightforward. There's not any. They're sympathetic. There's not any sort yeah. of sarcasm to them. So he he could do that. He's not known Maybe. for that. When He's we get there, you can tell me about it. Um, okay. Because my question after listening to this album over and over again is. Does he like anyone? <laughs> well, I, I think he does. I, I think that's one of the things that I that like woman about he's married album. to that looks just like uh, what's her uh, Camilla. <laughs> I think that the, that's one of the things I might say, Doug. I, I, one of the reasons why I like this album is that it does seem like you do the characters are sympathetic. I mean, even though they are not people that you would, like I said earlier, want to necessarily associate with. They are sympathetic and you don't know. They they do have their pride. They do have their feelings. They do have their, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny. I mean, it's almost like watching a sitcom when it gets serious, 
you know, like when they, they try to do one next on a very special uh, silver spoons. But it, it this might this might surprise you that, that that is something else that crawls up and down me. <laughs> um, maybe just sitcoms. More like a I, I, I think stuff. I think more so, and I'm not by any stretch a Randy Newman expert at all, but I have you know dabbled. I'm a dabbler, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think on this album in particular, JM's right. There, it's not straightforward sort of biting social commentary even the first song when we get to it while it has that there's some there's an odd sense of sympathy to that guy's point of view not not the entire point of view but one thing in particular you listen to a song like sail away that is pure neutral yeah (laughs) yeah in america you get food to eat won't have to run through the jungle and scuff up your feet You just sing about Jesus and drink wine all day It's great to be an American Ain't no lion or tiger, ain't no mama snake Watermelon in the buckwheat cake Everybody is as happy as a man can be Climb a boy, little walks Yeah, an amazing, an amazing song, by the way Yeah, it is an amazing song what bothers me Is I can't stand people taking a brave stand That's not a brave stand and that's that's what I get here. And I, I'll tell you what, I, I, I'll give you an example. Um, right. James going to have to help me with this guy's name. He did the uh, um, Golden Globes. Ricky. Uh, Ricky Gervais. Gervais. Yeah. OK. Ricky Gervais walked by the nerd table. He walked by the Bandork table. He walked by the goth table. And he went straight to the popular kids and he gave them both barrels and they deserved it. And it was beautiful. I loved it. It's one of the most wonderful things that's happened in the last 10 years. (laughs) Randy Newman, he makes fun of the same fat girl in every class. Uh, It's just, Mm, he takes easy targets. Tell me one time he took a hard target. It's always the easiest I, I don't know. I'd say I'm going to uh, disagree with you because I think give me an that, example. Well, I think that the OK, let's take sail away, for example. I think that that's that is do you think you I know that's a people upset. <laughs> it's a it's it's a different perspective. It's it's a it's a better way to uh, I'll agree with it's a masterful song and yeah, he did um, a good job. But it's it's again, he's, he's it's, it's I mean, I can just see all these I, satisfied people reading Malcolm Gradwell, listening to NPR, saying every now and then we'll take off NPR and put on Randy Newman. <laughs> I think the so first song on this album is a good example of that, though, Doug. Mm-hmm. I think Re- I think Rednecks is a good example of him not playing it safe. Yeah, but because, before this, because right, yeah. 
You're well, going to uh, say because he's attacking the northern city. Because well, let's, he, let's, let's, okay. Okay. Let, let, let's, uh, let's, 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 because I, I do want to say that conversation for when we actually get into the, to the song, because I think, I, I think Tony and I are going to the same place on, on that one. But, uh, real quick, just, this is Randy Newman's fourth album. Is his most commercial. Is it most commercial, um, successful, successful album before, album um, yeah. Uh, I think he landed dreams might've surpassed it, but, um, he was a, you know, serious composers. He, he, you know, we were talking about his royalty, his his pedigree that he has with his his uncles and everything. And he learned the the studio. He learned the the craft of songwriting. He even I think he sold his first song when he was seventeen. Uh, wrote songs for Three Dog Nights. Bonnie Ray did his songs, Tula Clark, even Jackie De Shannon, a fine writer in her own right, uh, recorded some of his stuff. Barbara so did the Blues Brothers. From a bombing, I got some cocaine from my friends. Gotta keep on moving, baby. Till I'm back in your arms again. Guilty. Just started he, then he he would put out albums and a lot of those songs that he uh would put out on his albums would just eventually become bigger hits for for other people. Uh, leave your hat on uh, from Sail Away became a big hit. Yes, yes, yes. You can leave your hat on. You can leave your hat on. You can leave your hat on. Or um, Joe Cocker. So he was kind of known as a as a songwriter and a, and uh, but he also was known for kind of writing these sardonic you know songs that were very very well crafted and i think you know when we get to this album in my opinion this is the height of his ability to do character studies and write songs that are just very interesting to listen to you know his, 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 his there's no special effects or anything like that it's all just arrangements I, I I'm going to say one thing or two things before we get into the meat and potatoes of this. Um, while there are songs on this album I enjoy tremendously, I find it to be very schizophrenic, and I also huh. find I also find uh, the uh, at least on one song, if not more than one song, the strings to be um, uh, distracting. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, absolutely overbearing and distracting. I'm interested so, to hear what that one is because I've got. 
there's two songs on this or I'm just fascinated by the strings and I'm, I'm wondering I, I think I think if he hadn't dropped the theme of this album I think it would have been much more interesting as a concept album which is what he was originally going for yeah it feels yeah. schizophrenic by I mean he wanted to paint a broader picture of the south so he starts talking about Huey Long and other stuff but I, I think it takes away from that narrative that would have made this album a little bit stronger and some of the songs that he had written for that that uh what was it called johnny um uh what's the main character in this johnny cutler's Cutler. birthday Cutler. i think that the album was going to be called johnny cutler's birthday mm, mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. i think the songs some of the songs he makes fit into this album that were initially for that one some of the later songs they just feel a little odd because of the the yeah. change in voice and character on some of these other songs um anyway I, that doesn't make them any less enjoyable in their own right but in terms of a cohesive whole i think i i i kind of long to and i know that there's a a, you can listen to that stuff out there but i long to hear what that would have been what that would have sounded like had he finished it in in the way he wanted to all right we ready for the first song yeah we are i don't know if anybody's ready for the first song but go ahead (laughs) (laughs) this is redneck You know, it's uh, one of the only groups of people that you can still make fun of in the country. And Randy Newman steps up courageously to take them on. Yeah. Well, hold on. Hold on, Jim. I understand exactly where you're coming from. You're not the first person, by the way, to say to say what you said about rednecks being the one of the few groups that you can really lay into and not and. And that, it's not a that, I got to say one thing. Um, we're in Texas and a lot of people in different parts of the country and different parts of the world think all Texas is part of the South. Uh, I am Just not. East Texas. Yeah, that, that's what I would say. It's East Texas is. Um, I think Texas thinks of itself as part of Texas and not connected. When I read, when I hear this stuff about the Deep South, it has, it doesn't hit home with me one bit right. because. Um, no, I, I think, think most Texans think they're Texans and they don't identify with the Southern deal. So I'm not I'm not uh, reacting on a personal level. No, you're right. I mean, East Texas, I think, has got an affinity towards places like Arkansas and, and Louisiana. But um, you get you get further away from that. And uh, I think you're right. There's this state identification. But if anything, it's more of a Western identification than anything else. It's but that's neither here nor there. Um, Bob Wills. But. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I see what you're saying about it not being brave, and I know you made the, uh, the sarcastic comment about him throwing the throwing the North under under the uh, the wheels of the bus. But what I want to say is that you know, um, what was not a brave stance is what Neil Young did. I, but this, I agree. The killer this or? is a this is no, a little bit that, different that because <laughs> this is a little bit different because what what he does is he takes a character, as Johnny Cutler, who's upset after and let's give the little history of what about the song so the song uh was in the album were initially inspired by uh i guess he was watching television between he was he was touring but it's between gigs and he caught an episode yeah. of the dick cavett show that had um lester maddox, lester maddox on it jim brown and truman capote were all on this episode 
And for those of you who don't know who Lester Maddox was, he was the governor of Georgia in the, uh, what, I think 66. Is that when he was elected? Um, uh, he was a, seven yeah. to 71. He was, a, yeah. uh, he was in a segregationist. Um, he had a, he had a restaurant, um, that he started as a business and he used to do these little, these little snippets in the newspaper and they got, and they initially weren't political, but they got political and he got more and more popular. So someone said, run, why don't you run for, this was in Atlanta. He goes, why don't you run for mayor? And he did it twice and they failed both times. Um, when he ran for governor, he got, he won the democratic, uh, nomination. And when he ran, he, he and the Republican, neither one of them won a majority. So it went to the state house to decide. And the state house was heavily democratic at that time. So they gave it to Lester Maddox <laughs> Then he became the governor. So Dick Cavett has him on the show. Uh, Randy did knew- you mention that he became famous because he wouldn't, uh, uh, desegregate his restaurant. Yeah, I apologize. Thank you for that. That's, he, that's he pretty actually, important point. He sold. He sold he his or closed his restaurant down rather than seg- uh, desegregate it. That's how strongly he felt about this. So, Dick Cavett has him on the show, and he of course puts him next to Jim Brown, who is, uh, you know, was a football player for the Cleveland <laughs> Browns, but he's also an activist. Uh, uh, you know. Um, and if you watch, what's amazing is if you watch that and I've watched it, if you watch the, um, the clips, Jim, Jim Brown is actually pretty respectful to Lester Maddox. The person who's not is Dick Cavett and Dick Cavett is constantly making these little snide comments. He's getting the audience to, you know, and, and what Randy Newman said when he was watching that was that it offended him, not because he agreed with Lester Maddox, but because this was a person. He goes, if I would have been a Georgian and I had seen that, whether I b- agreed with Lester Maddox or not, I would have been upset because what they did is they uh, Dick Cavett s- assumed this guy was a clown, didn't let him talk, treated him like a clown the whole time. And, uh, and while he, uh, as Randy Newman says, he likely was a clown, uh, it, was, it was just this whole sort of holier than thou attitude that Dick Cavett had that really upset him and really aggravated him. And so he, I, I think it's worthwhile talking about exactly what Rand, what he did, what Cavett did. Cavett, oh yeah. by the way, is not a uh, Jew and he's from Nebraska <laughs> and not New York. So. Right. And what is <laughs> that? We're just well, smart ass New York Jew. <laughs> the reason you say that is because there's a line in the song Rednecks where it says Lester Maddox was a uh, was being interviewed by us. Yeah. With a, with a smart, was it a smart ass New York Jew? Yeah. That's why, that's why Doug said that because Dick Cavett was not, but, but the character of Johnny, of of Johnny Cutler would likely think that Dick Cavett was a smart ass New York Jew. So that was the point of that, but probably um, Jewish. So yeah, we could, we could, I guess maybe tag team on this, Doug. So uh, Jim Brown asked Lester Maddox, uh, when he was governor and and they were talking about how many positions he had get, Lester Max had given to, to, to black people. And Jim Brown asked him, did that upset your, your you know, the white bigots in the state? And no, then Dick you're, Cav- you're bigoted. Did he say bigoted? Uh, no, he said white bigots. No, he right. said white bigots. And then Dick Cavett, uh, there was a bit of a discussion. Then Dick Cavett circled back around and said, uh, well, J- uh, Jim Brown asked if that upset your admirers. And Lester Max was like, what? he didn't say admirers. He said white bigots. Why are you associating my admirers with white bigots? And that's, yep. that blew up the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and Lester Max wanted wanted him to apologize. Dick Cavett, uh, you know, he said stuff like apology. Yeah, several snarky apologies. He said something like, I apologize to any of your admirers that aren't white bigots. You know, he said something like that. And then, Jeez. I mean, just really, really a holier than that. I think, I think, uh, I think uh, Cavett really... 
comes out looking bad. Bad. Yeah. Um, of course, um, uh, the the one thing I admired is uh, being that close to Jim Brown and not being intimidated <laughs> not in your body that. language at all. Yeah, you're talking I about less dramatic. Able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I think I mean it was really it was it it kind of shows you i mean i was impressed uh because what you know with the reputation lester maddox had jim brown could have been completely different and he wasn't he was yeah. he, he wanted to have a conversation jim brown came out looking pretty sharp oh, jim yeah, he, he wanted he lester sharp, maddox uh nobody expected him to look good but um cabot did all he could to make him look better yeah which yeah, i think yeah. is a point that uh that the song yeah. tries to make is that just shut up and let the guy uh, destroy himself. That's exactly right. Cause Randy Newman yeah. even says he didn't let him, he did not give him a chance to be the dope that he is because they well, just that, kept, you know, like y'all the, always the, do for me. Exactly. <laughs> so the character <laughs> is, open. I mean, that's what, so Doug, where I think you're kind of, you're asking what, what, why one of the reasons why I like this album is yes, it's complicated when he is, talking about we're rednecks we don't know our ass from a hole in the ground and there he starts talking about you know free to be put in a cage in new york city and of course they use the n-word all over the place in this song or he uses the n-word all over the place in this song um you know if i'm i remember hearing this as a kid and just like going i don't know what am i supposed to think of this and now that i'm you know benefit of age it, it's he this is a prideful guy who has some reason to be upset um because his culture is kind of being you know who he is how what he identifies with is being kind of made a fool of um but at the same time you know he's kind of psychologically going off and just saying well yeah look at look and you know that's the part that i think is really interesting well with i i I, I agree with you, JM. I do think it's funny that Randy Newman reflecting on the song several years later said something like he felt like he had gotten out of character by having Johnny Cutler name all these places he likely did not know where they were. <laughs> Free to be, <laughs> yeah, like, but I had, in San Francisco I had and New York and Baltimore. I read that too. And, and that's, <laughs> that's perfectly illustrative of why I don't believe Newman when he's when he says what he says i think he has i think he has contempt for uh the southern guy i also think he has contempt for people in those cities where um where you know the northern cities or the cities where they have the ghettos but i'll, I'll tell you what it's this character versus confessional songwriting Mm -hmm. I think the cat hides behind these characters and he gets to do whatever he wants and he never once has to point the finger at himself. And, um, yeah, well, but I like hearing him when you, when, when he's interviewed about his songs, he gives some of the best answers I think I've ever heard when he well, talks. I think maybe you believe him more than I do. And I, well, and I will say this. I will say this, Doug. I think I, I agree with you in this song and rednecks. He has, absolute contempt for this the guy speaking but if this song were isolated and you didn't have the two songs that followed it yeah. i think i think then you would then then you have a point but yeah. the two songs uh, that follow it flesh out that character and they're yeah. very sympathetic songs 
Are you want to yeah. go to Birmingham now? Are you all ready? Well, I, well no, I, let's keep, let's just stay on this well, for I a just, minute. But, because, but I think um, that that goes to this album. That's one of, You're asking me why do I find this album fascinating? It's because it is kind of character development. Um, the, you you can't just listen to one song in, isol- in isolation and get kind of the whole character that Ruth Newman is talking about. Here. And, and I don't think we can go past the song without talking about who the backup singers on the song are. <laughs> is it the Eagles? It's it's uh, Glenn Fry, Don Henley, and Bernie Leadon from the Eagles. Yeah. Of course, everybody that talks about that says that they. They cut out, they they harmonize or they sing the backup, and then they cut out right at that one that moment one. <laughs> in the in the song where Randy Newman throws the throws the end bomb out. Yeah. Uh, it's uh they they stop singing at that point. But yeah, the Eagles, yeah. the Eagles are on this song. This <laughs> happens every time we do an album. They pop up singing backup. Something. <laughs> That's right. All right, we can move on. Y'all ready? Okay, let's disagree on uh, Birmingham. He died right in Birmingham. Birmingham, Birmingham, the greatest city in Alabama. You can travel across this entire land. There ain't no place like Birmingham. <laughs> you don't like Birmingham either. I, I don't agree with the with the assumption it's sympathetic? that it's uh, sympathetic. Really, I, really. I, you know when he says uh, last song, I can't leave. I don't know my uh, ass from ass on the ground. That is the most unimaginative line. <laughs> I mean, that, there is nothing new there, <laughs> and and that's what all these things he makes fun of these people about. They're just hackneyed in my mind. Well, I, I okay. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you some room on that. I could. I think. Um. I think if you and I sat down over a couple of beers, you could maybe convince me. Right now, I'm. I'm still. I'm still straddling the line. Um. I. I think this song is sympathetic. I. I. I, I, I believe too. Randy Newman when he says he wrote this song to flesh out the character, and the thing he liked about it was as contemptible of a place as Birmingham, Alabama, was, uh, at the time the song was written. This character loves being from there and he has got yeah. pride for being in there and it's just a guy describing his life and and how many guys do you know that are like that that just they're just happy you know they're happy where they are they have pride in where they are and they can see see it for in a way that you know maybe somebody sta- standing on a uh, on a higher you know higher ground looking down on it can't yeah. see because they're so right. laser focused on all the bad stuff well, yeah, I think he exactly is. I, I think he's yeah. standing on higher ground, looking down on it, talking about how wonderful he is because he can see some good. Uh, yeah, I think that's. I, I think that's overly uh, I think cynical. I think it's a little cynical. Yeah, I think there's yeah, a subtlety well, that's going on here that a very not a lot of songwriters could. Oh, do. I I don't disagree with you. This guy is a cynical person, but I think that I think that this this song at least and the one after it. Um, yeah. straddles that line and um, and fleshes out that cynicism uh, to something a little yeah. bit more nuanced. Um, yeah, I, I I think I, I mean the 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 song yeah, like you can't the 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 song Birmingham leading into the next song it makes a lot like if you hear the first song and then you hear the second song it's like 
Okay. Yeah. Wow. This guy's is, and so we'll get to that second song, um, in a minute, but I, or the third song in a minute. But he's you know a song about you know he's got a ver- whole verse about his dog, Dan. Meet his dog in Alabama. Get him, Dan. I mean, just that that kind of stuff. I just like not like, many where, people where write songs like that. Where does he get that? He's a bad he from from watching that dog. So much simpler than he is. Thanks about his dog. I, uh, I, again, I again, think he's overly that's, cynical, Doug. Um, I, I will say this: Springsteen, when he does this, he pulls it off, and he's lifting people up. Newman does this. It's um, it's it's like he's coming from a college to write a little paper about these uh, people in flyover country. Um, uh, I, I will uh, say this though: this is the one song. I mean, the one song in this album that I listen to, and it sounds so much like something he's written for a disney film the music <laughs> even the even the orchestration in it i just listened yeah. to it and dun, i was like dun, ah, dun. i could see i could see yeah. buzz lightyear singing about you know me and his dog in alabama i mean it's just yeah. bizarre how much I, I can't shake that um especially yeah. on this song every time i mean i've listened i listened to the song probably 20 times over the last week and every time i listened to it it sounded like something from a pixar film <laughs> then comes a song about marie I like what this song's about. I don't particularly like the song. I think the music's a little sappy. It doesn't, I don't, I don't, it, it doesn't sound like a Randy Newman song to me. And this is the one song, JM, where I think the orchestration is way overdone on it. I think oh, the song. I absolutely. Be, you disagree? I, love, or agree? I disagree. I love the orchestration See, I on think this song. song but he I didn't think the song it. It would Nick be Decaro, significantly who's... more powerful if it was just him and a piano. Well, you know, there is a uh, version of it on the reissue where it is just him and a piano. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, and it's better. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm fascinated by this song, by the arrangements, by the string arrangements. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's very strange. The, the, it's, um, Starts off on a five, on a seven, and then, <laughs> I don't want to bore everybody, but then it goes to a yeah, four. Here we go. Seven, bye, listeners. <laughs> which is a, which is a, yeah, bye, listeners. But it's it's very it's just a very strange beginning to a song, and you don't hear a lot of songs that start like that, and uh, and then the whole arrangement is just a it's just beautiful. I mean, there's hardly you can't like sit down with a guitar and strum to this song, which is a, another thing that I, I really like about it. Um, but the yeah, arrangement is something that uh, this is very much a piano album. Yeah, yeah. very much is so all his albums. I don't know if people know what I mean when I say that, but I can. I feel like I can pretty well tell when someone writes a song on the piano and when they write one on the guitar, yeah. and yeah. that it's so, it's pretty clear that. No one wrote these songs on a guitar. Do you uh, do you feel cynical about this song as well, Doug? 
No. Um, I, I think feel it's like uh, I'm not going to. None of the stuff that JM just talked about jumped out at me. I, I got to say something else. I've never been hooked by a Randy Newman song. I have never hummed a Randy Newman song. Nothing about his music is memorable to me. That's uh, not the same as saying it's not good. I'm not going to say that, and I'm not going to say he's not talented, and I'm not going to say he's doing. Uh, I'm not going to say he does not do complicated things with his music. But um, this, there's some there's some lines in this song that are good. Yeah. Um. Mm -hmm. If I had written this song, I would be pleased. <laughs> I I I like the fact that while this guy is obviously pouring his heart out because he's drunk and that's the only time he can do it, I like the fact that kind of the unsaid part of that is the other reason he can do it is his wife is stone right. asleep. It's not yeah. just that he's drunk. He could do it when she was awake and be drunk, but it's the fact that she's asleep and right. he's drunk. And so it's that combo uh, I I just I don't know why I I find I just find that very that line, I don't know it's just a, it's one of my favorite lines in any song I've ever heard I'm drunk right now baby but I have to be because I never could tell you what you mean to me and he just kind of make gives these confessions about how he's let her down and um it's just not a lot of songs like that you know it, it's, yeah. there's, it's, it's there's there's a lot I don't of there's have a, anything bad to say about this song. Yeah. I wish it was Tom I, Waits singing it, though. See, I much prefer Randy <laughs> Newman singing it than Tom Waits. The thing I'm going to criticize Randy Newman about the most is how negative he is about everything. And that's exactly <laughs> what I'm doing. So I'm I'm in a, an impossible situation this week. In <laughs> um, Are we ready for uh, Mr. President? We ain't asking Yeah, yep. see, this is what I mean by it being schizophrenic. Uh, this is the this is like right. a I, I, this song. I am, eh. Oh yeah, this may be my yeah. It's probably my least favorite song on it's the album. Not my least favorite, but it's up there. Um, it's just not that you know. It, it, me, it's just kind me, of a gut punch. It's just, it's not really well going going back to Doug's thing about being brave. Okay. Writing a song. Well, here's something I don't know if you guys knew. Do you know when this song was recorded? It I don't. Was re it was recorded the night Nixon gave his resignation speech to avoid impeachment. So again, really? yeah. So again, when you, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly that this is not a brave stance for someone to write an anti-Nixon song. Um, you know, well, he's he, he's a plea to Nixon, but at the same time, he starts listing all the litany of things that Nixon's done to, you know, cause him his troubles. Uh, yeah, this song is is not a brave song at all. Yeah, let me let me do a uh, a little experiment with y'all. Okay. Okay. Pretend like you've never heard this song before. Huh? Bow bow bow, you can dog it, you can dog. 
Well, I'm taking all you're giving. It's getting harder to make a living, Mr. President. Have pity <laughs> on the working man. Bow, 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 bow. It, this song Mr. Could President, sit right pity next on the to man. any of the garbage that's on uh, country radio right now. Yeah, it's I not a good. It's not a it. good song. It's not. I could see that. Yeah, maybe. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you I mean, I know. It. I know I what he's it. trying to do. He's trying to because he, you know, when he was doing the when he decided to get away from the Johnny Cutler character and and embrace a broader uh, or paint with a broader brushstrokes of just the South in general, he started getting into Huey P. Long and getting doing yeah. stuff. So he's trying to write a song, you know, about a modern guy that people can relate to that's similar in some ways to who Huey P. Long was. But I mean, I, I don't know. I, it's, he it's, he it's, needs it's, to ask himself strange. if he has any friends and if he does, why did they let put this song on the album? Yeah, it's not, well, it's not good. It's not his best. I, I don't think it's a bad song. I mean, one of the, it does, it's one of his more swinging songs that he's ever written. Um, well, yeah, I think I can't just, remember who's playing. Drum. I do remember I think, liking the drums on this. I think it's Jim Keltner playing the drums on it. I think so, Randy Newman needs to swing less. If you ask me, if this is a swinging song, he needs to swing. <laughs> it's a swing and a miss. One of the most swingingest song he's ever. <laughs> the he's ever swingingest written. and a miss is what it is. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, there's some good stuff coming up ahead. And oh we yeah. To, oh yeah. We ought to keep uh, keep on rolling. Yeah. Um, guilty. I'm guilty Baby, I'm guilty Now be guilty All the rest Of my life How come I never do What I'm supposed to This song uh, had a life before this album. Yeah. It was recorded by Bonnie Raitt, or I guess recorded and released a year before this album came out, or at least the year before. I just just talked about cheating. Uh, If you get Bonnie Raitt to sing one of your songs, it doesn't, no one knows if it's a good song or not, because (laughs) she can do whatever the hell she wants with the song and make it. Yeah, I tell you what's fascinating about so this song Bonnie Raitt recorded it. Well, I'm guilty. Well, I'm guilty, and I'll be guilty. Joe Cocker also covered it. Nazareth. It's on Hair of the Dog by Nazareth. And as I mentioned earlier, it was a joke. I don't even know that. Yeah, yeah. And as a joke, uh, I I mentioned as a joke, but the Blues Brothers recorded this as well. I did not know that. Well, one of the things... What I just said about Bonnie Wright does not apply to the Blues Brothers. So one of the things that uh, I love about Randy Newman's arrangements are he is the master of discord kind of dissolving into something that is actually becomes really beautiful. You know, so the the way that this 
when he starts singing the chorus, the, uh, you know, being guilty, the orchestration is just bizarre. And he he is so good at that. Um, I'm going to say something nice now. I think that uh, the last verse is good songwriting, good lyrics writing. You know, you know how it is with me, baby. You know, I just can't stand myself. It takes a whole lot of medicine for me to yeah. pretend yeah. that I'm someone else or somebody yeah. else. That's that's good stuff. A lot of oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it sticks with you, too. I mean, you, you understand exactly where well, this guy's it coming. Remind from. me of me. It reminds me of y'all. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is this is a great song. I, I it's funny though that you mentioned that Discord thing, Jam, because that's exact. I mean, I, it's it stands out to a certain extent. You're listening to it, and it's it's so odd, but it also at the same time is compelling. That, that yeah, weird- but you're also it's getting you you feel like you're in the guy's head. Yeah. Like I am so conflicted right now with yep. who I am, and I'm faced, and that's gonna oh, be a uh, this. We got a family oriented program. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, meant to say uh, three sheets to the wind or something nicer yeah. like a overserved. Yeah, he, he, he's been overserved. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so the, another thing, you know, it's like the same thing with Marie, but this is like, oh, by the way, I'm telling you how much I love you. This time, I'm telling you how bad I am. Well, he's and, also talking to somebody who's not his wife, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. this is like an ex lover or something. He ends up on her doorstep. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is I, it's probably a good opportunity to take uh, a moment to say that none of us would ever do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. This was a you know, this was the first single on this album. It didn't do anything, but uh, yeah. it was released as a single. Uh, he what he did think about releasing uh, Rednecks as a single, but obviously uh, the lyrics in it was not going to get any a whole lot of beeps on that one. It, we We're should mention this got up to number. This album got yeah. to thirty six on the Billboard, which yeah, it was astonishes me. I mean, was there nothing else out that month? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Captain and Tennille or something. Barry Manilow. It's the year of the first Rush album. This was, was cutting edge. Um, How about we flip this album over and we go to track number six, first track on side one, which is it was a single. A <laughs> it was not a hit, but it was a single. I, can I say Louisiana, something about this song? Hold on. I, Louisiana, 1927. Louisiana. 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 This is my favorite song in the album. And uh, as I was listening to this, I was like, God, I love this song. I love this song. I didn't realize it's essentially sail away with different lyrics. <laughs> um, it's a little different. I mean, Randy um, Newman's admitted that it's essentially the same song with different lyrics. Um, there's a lot, actually a lot of co- conversation about if that's meaningful or not, because one song is from the point of view of a slave trader, um, you know, doing a sales pitch to, to um, somebody in Africa. 
and then this song is about essentially the destruction of a southern town. Um, I don't know. There's just conversations about was that done on purpose? Did he just, you know, because that song Sail Away was on his the album immediately preceding this. Uh, I don't know. I think people read too much into it. And you're right. It is slightly different. I do love this song, though. This song is oh, fantastic. This may be his best. In my opinion, it may be his best song. And well, I just I love the line getting into the psychological thing again with this is when President Coolidge comes down oh, yeah. and just does this sort of, you know, demeaning, remark. Yeah. yeah, flippant remark. Can you believe what's gone on to this old cracker's land? Yeah. It's like, and then, you know, Coolidge is my favorite president. So <laughs> she had to say that, <laughs> you know, uh, but this, I mean, the song's based in fact, um, when when the flood when the when the flood happened, uh, a bunch of people, Mississippi flood of nineteen twenty seven, yeah, a bunch of New Orleans businessmen uh, agreed to dynamite a levee, and it flooded all these uh, poorer sections of town, and you know just absolutely devastated these poorer sections of the town, and so and it and, and oddly enough was one of the things that on which uh, Huey P. Long built his run for governor was that that debacle how that happened. Um, and, uh, explains the next song, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I was going to say is that, um, so, you know, it, it, it makes sense that he uses Coolidge in that way because the song, I mean, even though Coolidge never went down to new Orleans and said that and visited after the flood, it was, it was, you know, uh, the symbolism of the federal government essentially giving the finger to new Orleans, which also, uh, you know, to a certain extent happened to Katrina and this song became an anthem for new Orleans during Katrina. I don't know if you've heard, uh, the Aaron Neville cover of this was, it's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty damn amazing. It's like, yep, I know it. (laughs) You guys aren't going to be satisfied to have an aneurysm. Do we need to talk about politics? Every man a king. Why weep or slumber, America? Land of brave and true. There's castles and clothing and food for all. All belongs to you. Every man a king. Do we really want to talk about? I mean, do we need to put a whole lot of effort into talking about a song that was written? by Huey Long for his campaign, <laughs> his campaign. that is essentially Randy Newman doing a cover of a Huey Long campaign song. I mean, well, do we want to talk about who Huey Long was before we get into the next song, which is about Huey Long? Sure. Well, so Huey Long was the, what is the governor of Louisiana? Um, Populist governor of Louisiana. Uh, Populist governor of Louisiana eventually ran for, was it Senate? And uh, was assassinated. Um, assassinated in the Capitol. Yep. Um, I'm not entirely. Was it a disgruntled employee that assassinated him? There's there's a great book called uh, All the King's Men that was based on oh, yeah. Pulitzer Prize winning novel. It was based on Huey Long. Um, I think it was a re- revenge. Uh, the guy that shot him got shot 60 times by uh, <laughs> Huey Long's bodyguards. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, Huey Long was 
Uh, FDR called him the most frightening politician in the United States. And uh, is that before I LBJ? Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's no LBJ was a, a protege of FDR, um, but uh, of course FDR was the most frightening president in the United States, and Huey Long was giving him competition. But it was a populist message. It was basically uh, he's going to get everybody's money and give it to you. Every chicken in a pot. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And uh, I'm a cracker, he, you're uh, one. or a chicken in every pot. He yeah. was going to run for for president. FDR was he thought it was Providence that had him assassinated. He, I believe that's a direct quote. Um, but he was a scary, scary man. Basically, he was buying votes. Uh, that never happens anymore. But ladies and gentlemen, back in the 20s and 30s, that, that happened uh, frequently, especially in that part of the world. New Orleans is uh, rife yeah. with his history of, of political shenanigans. Well, well yeah, I mean, uh, Harry Connick about. Jr., Harry Connick oh. Jr., his dad was the D.A. and he went to the pokey because he was so crooked. All right, the kingfish. The kingfish do. Who gave a party at the Roosevelt Hotel? Back the whole north half the state down there for free. People in the city had their eyes bugging out. Cause everyone looked just like me. Here come the kingfish. We're back with Huey Log again. Um, this is one of my favorites on this, the album. Why and is again, this song called Kingfish Jam? Because Huey Long was known as the Kingfish. Right. Um, and he was a, <laughs> as we were saying earlier, he's a he was a populist. Uh, there's that line in there that says, who uh, took on the standard oil men and whooped their asses just like he said he'd do. And he talks about how <laughs> it's about little folks like standard oil's not going to run this state. It's going to be run by little folks like me and you. And then he's the way that this song uh, starts off to me is amazing. It just starts off with the piano and then again, Randy Newman being the master of uh, discordant uh, arrangements, it, just how those strings come in and just everything is just, you know, uh, suspended. And then he just comes in and does that kind of almost bluesy uh, New Orleans uh, piano barrel roll sort of stuff. It's just it's amazing I the way that song comes in. I do find this song to be very cinematic. I could, it, it could almost, it sounds like it could almost be from a Broadway musical or something. Yeah, about yeah. You're exactly right about that. Yeah, it's it's right. hard to imagine that it wasn't that. Yeah. yeah. They, uh, I don't understand the deal about Frenchmen though. I've never heard anyone. I never understand anything about, about the Frenchman that. thing. I, I mean, I've been in Louisiana a lot of times. I've never heard anybody talking about the Frenchmen trying to take the rights of people away or something like that. <laughs> I'm just wondering if it went back to, you know, Louisiana time uh, it, because that's what it starts off with. Uh, how many something thousand 
Frenchman in New Orleans. I, I'm wondering if that just goes back to like 1803 or something. Um, I have no idea. That, that part of the song, I, I think I mean, in college I had to do a big, long report on Huey Long. And I think it would a long to... report on long. That's good. I like <laughs> that. <laughs> but I don't believe I came across anything about Frenchman. I'm going to say one last. I've got kind of a personal history to this song. I went and saw Randy Newman one time with my dad at the uh, old Austin Music or old Austin Concert Hall. What was it? Which one was it? Austin Opera House. Yeah, Austin Opera House. Oh, and south of the river. Yeah, south of the river. And uh, my dad yelled out for Randy Newman to play Kingfish. And uh, he played it. Oh, cool. oh, yeah. I'd love to do that one. Yeah. So I got a little bit of a little bit of a history there. That's cool. That's a nice well, I story. Jam. That, I had yeah. family that was in uh, Standard Oil, so <laughs> that is highly offensive. <laughs> And also, I uh, had family that worked uh, on the oil field, and they did have necks. So, uh, <laughs> oh, no neck. I got to be offended about that earlier. You forgot to bring up the no-neck Texan. <laughs> Which is why we're experts on this That's album. right. That's right. <laughs> All right. So, now we got the naked guy, and anybody that lives in uh, Austin is thinking about Leslie right now. Or the guy on the bike. Um, yeah, the, the so bike guy. You know, Danny jogger. You guys, you guys know this is based on a true story. I, I have no that, idea. I don't where think I believe it. Well, yeah, it's tough to believe. But Randy Newman said he knew he had a friend who was a public defender, and, <laughs> and she had her. And this woman had her purse snatched by a naked guy running down the street. And when the police found him, they found him a couple of blocks away. Uh, with her purse, he he swore that he didn't take her purse. That another man, naked man, had handed it to him. Uh, and the and the reason he was naked is because he was having an affair with his friend's wife. And when his friend came home, he fled out the fire escape and forgot to put his clothes on. Didn't have time to. Um, I, I like a dream. that story is so much better than the song. I if that's <laughs> true, he ought to go I, back and rewrite this song. So I. I have an, a visceral reaction to this song because it sounds a little too Jimmy Buffett for my liking. It is. I'll give Thank you that. You. Thank and, you. And anything that has any, even a smidge of Jimmy Buffett is, is going to put my hackles up. Yeah. It's not one of my favorites, but one of the things I will say is it's got the best use, one of the best use of synthesizers in a song I've, I've ever heard. So I'm, I'm just kind of, and I, they're, they're so subtle. I, it, gonna say I, that I was so busy th- wondering why the hell anybody would write this song. This gives me a, uh, this is a gangplank for me to cross to uh, do one of my other uh, attacks on Randy Newman. 
so much of what he does seems like a novelty song. I, I I'll I'll hand you that. I agree. I yeah. think that that's a big hurdle for anybody who isn't willing to spend a little time with him. That's that right. His stuff does come across on the surface and sometimes just at, even with a deep dive as a novelty song. Yeah, you're right. I'll give you that. Um, well, let's let's uh, make sure we copy that part. Make sure, <laughs> especially the you're right part. You're right, Doug. You are You're right. right. We don't have a lot of those in the archives. <laughs> <laughs> All we'll, right, we'll, here we'll we are. Just, we'll make a collection of those for Cecia. <laughs> she, she's never, <laughs> she hasn't heard six minutes of this podcast. <laughs> Cecia is my wife, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. One of the reasons <laughs> that uh, we're so happy together is that she doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> My wife listens to every one of them. Well, but she's got all that time in the pokey to kill. That is. Wedding in Cherokee County. She don't say nothing. She don't do nothing. She don't feel nothing. She don't know nothing. Maybe she's crazy, I don't know. Maybe that's why I love her so. Okay. <laughs> Someone's going to have to enlighten me on this one. Oh, oh my boy. lord. This yeah. song is bizarre. I will say, I, I just before the podcast, I found a quote of Randy Newman talking about how what he was, he was. I don't know if this is true or not, but this is what he said. He goes, I was interested in Albania at the time. 4,000 people and 8,000 goats. Real vitriolic. I wanted to write them an anthem. Albania, Albania. But it didn't work out, so I wrote this Albanian wedding song. But I didn't have enough information, so I moved it to Cherokee County for the concept <laughs> album. That's what he says about this. And and I, it's kind of hard not to believe, because I have this song is so weird. So out there. It makes absolutely, like, where in the hell did this come from? But The guy's what, mar- marrying a catatonic woman who is yeah. sitting behind the, the smokehouse. Um her dad was it? Her you're dad gonna, was a. You're gonna sit down in your she, pound away to make this thing. I I well, don't get it, man. It, but it, you know, if she knew how to be unfaithful to me, I yeah. think she'd kill me if she could. Yeah. So it's, it's a like, it's a woman he's about to marry who's catatonic, but also hates his guts. Yeah. And she comes but from a long her. line of odd people, you know. Yeah. I mean, there is a good Grant, line in here. Granddad was a newsboy. Until he was 84. Was 84. <laughs> was 84. That's, that's good. I, I had to hand it to him on that one. <laughs> you, you didn't want to finish up what, what the the, uh, the rest of that what description? What a slimy old bastard he was. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I don't know how those two things are connected. He's been a, news, a newsboy until he's 84 makes him a slimy bastard. I don't get it. I keep I keep expecting Frank Zappa to come on and start doing something. Well, this does. I mean, th- yeah, this has a little yeah. bit of that kind of. I could see Zappa doing something interesting with this, as opposed to what this is. But uh, I don't think it's uninteresting. I think it's. I just. I think it's hilarious. But you could look at it as a like a um, society page in one of those small town newspapers in Alabama. 
So I'm talking about the schizophrenic thing of this. So you got you start off with Johnny Cutler, and then you slam on the brakes and throw in Huey yeah. P. Long, and then you go from Huey P. Long to some you know weird story about some yeah. bizarre you know, catatonic he, woman and some guy it's, who it's you know what, what you could take it concept album. Uh, Failed profoundly to be. And then the naked, don't pay, forget but... about the naked man being thrown in before this as well. I mean, it's just, right, I don't get it. in the south runs around but naked, can... stealing purses all the time. <laughs> anyway, I, 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 I have a real hard time with. I mean, this the second I side this of this song. album starts off so incredibly with that Louisiana 1927 song, and then it just, just to me, just falls apart after that. You know what? <laughs> I, I saw an article online where this couple got married and read the lyrics to this as their vows oh my i guarantee you they're divorced now <laughs> back on my feet again Nobody has anything. I am. This is just one of the most dumbfounding. It's another weird song. It's a very weird song. Um, It's almost a fantasy song. You know, like you almost have this fantasy, like I want to be butt ugly and whatever. And I just want someone to love me for who I am. And it's also it's the, the main guys pretending to be black in it. Yeah. You know, which is a weird thing. Uh, and why what to impress a woman i don't i don't i don't understand what this song is about as you can see i i ain't no negro i'm a millionaire as you can plainly see yeah because he goes into the bathroom and washes his face off it's it's, it's so this song is weird it is it's very weird there is a guy that he wants to just believe that someone loves him for who he is and the best way to just say, well, I'm going to just, you know, disguise myself as something that I find abhorrent and see if you still love me. And yeah, he, who does he attract? He attracts a dancer. And but he's going to teach her, you know, all the ways to what? be that are cool in the South or the, or the what rich people do in the South. Teach you to play polo and water ski. We we. We can't ignore the fact that the protagonist is evidently in a loony bin talking to a doctor about this, can we? Yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah. I, again, I don't, well, you know, so it's don't, not even, but it's not even, yeah, he, the, the guy that the character is, is just relaying a story to his doctor going like, get me back on my feet again. How could this, how could somebody do this and get away with it? And, you know, the opening line is, let me tell you something about myself. I'm a college man, I'm very wealthy. Um, he starts talking about his brother who works in a textile mill, makes more money than you ever will. Who's yeah, a he starts bad, bad mouthing the doctor. Bad the doctor. I, yeah. I, I don't. Again, this doesn't make any sense. You know, I, I saw a 2017 Mojo interview with Randy Newman where he said this was the song he was the most proud on this album, most proud of on this album. Well, I could almost see that because it's very complicated. It's a complicated <laughs> discourse. I, I think Randy Newman unfortunately fell down a flight of stairs before that interview. <laughs> by himself is what I think. I, 
I did a lot of research on this album, but um, I did not get to what is seems to me at this point one of the most vital aspects of Randy Newman's life. What was his uh, relationship with drugs? <laughs> I have no idea. Well, I you know if you if you take this the songs on this album at face value, he might have been a, a quite a bit of a booze hound. But, but yeah. these songs don't sound like booze songs. They sound like something more. Well, maybe booze if you're going through the DTs or something. I don't know. It's bizarre. <laughs> I, 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 again, this, the, the last three songs, Naked Man, Wedding in Cherokee County, and Back on My Feet Again, just, I, they're, they're mind boggling odd. And I yeah, don't, they I are, don't. but that's kind of the reason, one of the reasons why I like them is that they're, they're just, like, it, my mind is so limited. I couldn't come up with something. Well, yeah. Well, you're not like shipping your into the drugs. <laughs> Uh, the other thing about this song that, again, just to repeat what I said about Naked Man, is there's just a slight smidge of of the whole uh, Buffett thing going through it that just rubs me the wrong way. Now we've got Roland. Trouble vanishing to the end. Rolling, rolling. It's a good song. I this is this a song, song that uh, apparently can be understood on two different levels. Some of this stuff's like Gnosticism, where the people who get it make fun <laughs> of the people who take it literally. <laughs> I, so this song is not about that that great quote from Homer Simpson, where he says, "Here's the alcohol, the the cause of and solution to all of life's problems." <laughs> That's not what this is about. Yeah, drink and the you, Tony's right about the drinking. I mean, it's. Yeah. Every song is must have had some rule about it. he can't have a drink till three and he works on the piano for four hours or something. <laughs> and all I can think about is that first drink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah I, li- I like this song. It's especially nice considering the what came before it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's just a nice closer too. it's yeah, not it's, a it's not an upbeat way to close the album, but no, you know. no, but <laughs> it's an upbeat. Except but for Huey then, Long, unless well, you're there, for Huey Long. It's a little <laughs> bit of upbeat. I'm like, I never thought I'd make it, but I always knew somehow. That, I got a, I've got a question. Yeah, we're at the end here, and I got a question for Tony. Yeah. Are you ever going to listen to this album again? Um, well, I don't know. No. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> if I want to listen to Randy Newman, I'm putting Sail Away on. But but that uh, you know that's not that's not well, the reason I, I I hesitated is there's other albums we've done that I likely wouldn't listen to again but that doesn't necessarily mean I don't get why somebody would. Well, hmm. I, I agree that that's a big difference, and I'm I'm not going to say that this is a bad album. Um, this is an album that came after everything. I got all my buttons that aren't very well hidden and this this album came and pushed all of them so uh, it, it knows yeah, it's tied i did think about that. you the whole time we were doing listen the whole time i was listening to this thinking i can't wait to hear what doug says about this album hey doug 
Yeah. Uh, since, uh, since this was such a miserable experience for you, I think, uh, we should throw you a bone and ask you if you have a recommendation for us this week. I do. And this is a qualified recommendation. I understand that we have, uh, people listen to us all over the world, but this one is going to be for the Austin people. And, uh, I'm going to recommend a place to go have a cocktail. It is called the long play. And you walk in there, they make very delicious cocktails, and you sit down and you listen to a whole album. And when that album's done, they play another album. And uh, if you're like me and you don't like to be at the uh, mercy of a jukebox, you probably will enjoy this place. It's uh, in Austin on St. John's, and it's also, they have another one on Cesar Chavez. So go check that out. Next time you want to talk to someone and listen to good music and have a cocktail. And, and I, I just want to add that I think um, anybody who's interested, because it is interesting, out, even outside of the album and what inspired this, to look and try to find some of those clips of, of um, well, I can't think of anything. Yeah, thank you. Less Dramatics on the Dick Cavett show. Uh, it's, it's compelling television. Well, that's it for tonight's show. Next week, we'll be looking at a concept album by a band that combined orchestral arrangements with a Beatles pop sensibility, the Electric Light Orchestra's El Dorado. Look us up on Facebook, and we're on Instagram as well. And, of course, we're on Twitter at Tapping Vinyl. And you can email us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. You can leave us a note on any of those platforms. Leave us a review. Tell us what you would like for us to look at in an upcoming episode. And if you know of anyone that likes music in the LP format, please be sure and let them know about this podcast. We're hoping to get the word out. For our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, this is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11. And on behalf of all of us here, look out for naked men. And by naked men, I mean Stoner Steve.